Welcome to the second episode of our new podcast, The Superpower of Confidence, in which we explore the topic of confidence, confidence in others, confidence in oneself, in the world. What does it mean? How can you become more confident? We support an idea of confidence that is not arrogance, that is humble and loving. And in episode two, uh, we're discussing with a specialist on some of these issues, Um, I'm very excited to uh, have as a guest uh, Dr. Joe Borgo, <laughs> who's the author of Why Do I Do That? The Narcissist You Know, and uh, most recently, How to Build Self-Esteem. So it's a perfect, <laughs> perfect third book in our topic. Hi, Joe. Hi, nice to be here, Ben. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Is it should I should I call you Doctor Doctor Joe Joe? What do you uh, do, call me, uh, Joe? Please, just Joe. <laughs> okay, okay, Joe. Um, so, Joe, who are you? Well, I'm a I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been a practicing therapist for uh, almost 40 years now. Um, I have been in private practice most of that time. I've also, I'm also a writer. I've written several books that fall into the realm of popular psychology. I've also written um, several novels. I'm, I write, I also write for, for the press, for different blogs, for newspapers. I'm quoted regularly in the media. When it comes to topics like, especially narcissism, Um, these days yeah. I get a lot of requests to talk about Donald Trump and narcissism since that's one of my big topics, shame and self-esteem, um, mm -hmm. you know, my other topics. Did you almost feel, did you almost feel that, uh, he should be reelected so that you can keep getting these, uh, quote requests? Oh, please. No, no. <laughs> I was, I was so burnt out. I, I am burnt out on talking about Donald Trump. I mean, I'm sick of that subject. Okay, <laughs> good. All right. Uh, so actually, your books is how I've I've come to know you. Uh, I I read Why Do I Do That, your first uh, your first popular psychology book. I was trying to be a better writer and understand more the concept of unconscious desires from characters because I had read that characters they want something, but also sometimes they do something that they want, but they they're not aware that they want it. And so I was looking for some kind of psychology book about that. And I found your, why do I do that? And for me, it, w it went much beyond becoming a better writer. It, it actually, it was like a revelation for, for, for my own life. Uh, and this is how, you know, this is how I got to know you. Uh, I reached out to you. I may or may not have consulted with you. This is not, <laughs> this won't be a, disc <laughs> a discussion topic for today. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, so your your third book is uh, is is uh, building self esteem, and this goes, uh, you know, I uh, you know self esteem is is very related to confidence. Uh, do you so first of all, is self esteem the same as 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 confidence? Uh, do you have do you have yourself a definition of confidence? I I. I 
I think they're related. I actually like the idea of confidence and self-confidence much better than I like self-esteem. I don't, I don't, the problem with self-esteem is that it's usually talked about as being low or high. And it, it, it sounds like you could just, if you just top it up a little bit, you could have high self-esteem. And I don't, I don't right. like that way of looking at it. I like self-confidence because I think at the heart of what we think of as self-esteem is this idea of, 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 I like the word confidence because it it's, has this sense of confiding in oneself, of knowing oneself well, of being able to trust oneself. That I think is is the basis of self-confidence is that it, it has to be built on this feeling that you know yourself well and you can trust yourself to come through when you need yourself to do it. it I guess another way of saying it is it has to be based on something. It has to be earned rather than giving yourself, you know, self-affirmations or telling yourself you're great. I don't, I don't subscribe to that view at all. Yeah. So, you know, I was a, an avid reader for many years of my life to these books that tells you to look at yourself in the mirror and, uh, and repeat to yourself, I am successful or I am this, I am that. And as if, you know, this would, come by magic but you don't subscribe to to this view no i think you have to, i think you have to earn it you can't just tell yourself it is so you you have to you have to prove to yourself that you actually you know have reason to feel confident going into a situation i i think a good example for me is when i started doing interviews my first interviews like 10 years ago, I was really nervous about yeah. it um, because it was a new experience for me. I had no idea whether or not I would be able to do it. I didn't know my subject matter as well as I do now. Now, after having done hundreds of interviews and being able to answer questions on the spot, to have my, you know, have possession of my thoughts, to express myself well, I now trust myself to do it. I've proved to myself that I know my material and I can explain it well in, in the heat of the moment, so to speak. So, you know, I've earned my confidence, right? There's a reason why I feel confident. It's not just that I told myself, I proved it to myself. And I, I think if you, don't, if you don't have a reason to feel confident, like if you don't really know what you're talking about, if you haven't done the work to get where you want to be, if you're not truly an authority in your area, why should you feel self-confident, right? There's no reason to feel confident. <laughs> so it's okay if I don't feel confident right now uh, <laughs> hosting this podcast on confidence. You should feel a little nervous because it's new and you're doing great, but you're gaining confidence in yourself through experience, right? Right. So good. So I don't have to feel so guilty of not, about not feeling so <laughs> super confident. <laughs> Launching a platform on the topic of confidence. Um, you know, so it's interesting you say that because for me, I had two really defining moments of confidence in my life. So one was last December when I felt, you know, confident in my comedic uh, abilities and there I felt like it was a trust that I earned, okay? So it was a trust in myself. I was like, okay, I've, I've dedicated three and a half years to, or, you know, to this. 
and I've reached a certain level where I trust myself to be able to deliver the goods if I'm booked uh, on a show. But earlier, um, in, in 2008, you know, this is when I graduated from my MBA and this, is the fi- this was the financial crisis. So it was very difficult to find a job. Um, and I was, you know, I was kind of in the very low moment in my life, very depressed. And, uh, but then I managed to gain a kind of confidence that was not based on like that was not based on achievement you know like it was not a trust that i that i could see uh, into things that i had achieved but it was a, a certain feeling that okay if i if i keep on moving forward if i keep making steps something will come out you know something good will come out of it and i i cannot really explain why you know th- where this feeling came from uh, and it was not based on on external achievement. It was it was based on s- some achievement that you know I was ticking some boxes of of uh, some actions that I was doing every day to try to you know to get somewhere. Um, but it was it was not definitely you know like I wasn't sure that I could trust myself to get a job at the time because I you know it had been so many months that <laughs> that I was looking. But I felt that, okay, if I tick these boxes every day and I do things in my control and everything, I'll, things are going to be all right. Where, where does this feeling come from if it's not based in, in achievements? I think there was a kind of achievement there. You just might not be thinking about it as the ultimate achievement of getting the job. But, you know, knowing you, I know you work really hard at things, you, you're persistent, you, you learn what you need to learn about what it takes to be successful in a particular area. For instance, in the realm of comedy, you've done an enormous amount of work on learning what makes things funny, what makes a stand-up comedian funny, how they're successful, why they're successful. You study, you work, you rehearse. I mean, trusting yourself to do the work that's necessary is, a, is another kind of earned confidence, I think. You're a hard worker. I think that's actually a, a super good... Because, um, you know, wh- when people have no achievement to feel proud of <laughs> or to trust themselves on, like maybe that's the, that's the core confidence that they can rely on. It's just, okay, I trust myself that I'll be able to do the work and then I just trust that something good will happen out of it. I, I think that I think that that uh, self-discipline is a related concept. Um, that okay. it, I think it's it's the foundation of the kind of confidence we're talking about. Is you you need to know that you you can you can do the work. You can show up. You you have discipline to follow through on things. I don't think I think that's where it starts. If you don't have that how can you have confidence in yourself? You know, if you're undisciplined, if you don't show up, if you can't rely on yourself to do what you expect yourself to do, why should you have confidence in yourself? Mm. That's interesting. So that's, and in a way you're right, this is kind of an earned confidence with yourself that you prove to yourself that that you can show up and and do the work. 
uh, and move forward. I think that this idea of self-discipline is really, it's the, it's the very basis of everything. I think yeah. it all starts there. Okay. You, trusting yourself to do what you expect yourself to do is one way of saying it. Good. That's a, that's a great insight for people who are listening. Um, one of the one of the uh, theme in your work that is that that always comes back is the the concept of uh, shame. Um, without giving away your entire book, <laughs> what is how how can you explain shame uh, for our listeners? I, I talk about shame in a way that's a little different. For starters, from the from the way most people talk about it, I think that shame is a normal emotion. Um, Evolution-wise, it's built into our genes. There's a really good reason why it's there. So I don't think of shame as this uniformly toxic feeling that we've all got to get rid of and you know and and rise above shame. I think shame is a good thing. For instance, sometimes I think we feel uh, ashamed of ourselves because we have disappointed ourselves. We've disappointed the expectations we hold for ourselves, often really reasonable expectations. I mean, I, I know this is true for me um, on a regular basis that I, you know, that I do things that I, I feel like I let myself down. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, shame is kind of the opposite of confidence. It's like, it's like the opposite of self-esteem because it's where you, you actually don't live up to your expectations. You don't follow through on what you expect of yourself. So I think that shame is actually can be an experience that helps you to grow. Um, in fact, that's the subtitle of, yeah. of this new book is how learning from shame helps us to grow. I mean, if you can bear mm -hmm. feeling shame, which most of us have a hard time tolerating shame if you can bear from it sometimes often i think it has a it has a message it contains a message to us to say look you're not you're not following through you're not living up to your expectations you need to try harder you need to do better in this area rather than you know just saying mm -hmm. oh i you know just batting aside the shame and saying, oh, I have no reason to feel ashamed or other people are trying to make me feel ashamed or, you know, oh, no, I'm great. I shouldn't feel ashamed. I mean, none of that works. It's the act of listening to and learning from shame that will help you to develop the kind of confidence you're talking about, Ben. Hmm. But the, For example, one of the most shameful experiences is to go on the comedy stage and and bomb <laughs> and, and and have nobody laugh at your joke. Like that's that is so painful and it's full of shame. I used to I used to translate that shame because it's you know, it's a real feeling of of it's a true discomfort in the body, right? It's it's really hard to uh to live with it. And It's very painful, but you know that pain was so hard that I translated it into, oh well, then you know I must be, I'm shit, you know, or so <laughs> I'm I'm not a good, I'm not meant to do comedy, or you know I translated it into something that was in my deep nature, so all of a sudden it it became not just about bombing that night, but translating it into 
who I am at my deep core. Um, and I'm not sure, I think, I mean, first, is that normal? Do a lot of people do that? <laughs> I think a lot of people do that. And I do think that's that's sort of the experience that people refer to when they use the word shame. That's usually what they mean is that I'm just basically defective. I'm not worth, I'm not worth it. I can't do it. And that, that kind of pervasive soul killing shame is really destructive. And there's, yeah. there's kind of nothing to be gained from it. It's just, it just, it's just destructive. So uh, I agree with that view of shame that it's toxic. We need to try and rise above that, which is what you did. You ultimately didn't sit and accept this feeling that there's just some, something fundamentally wrong with you. You'll never be a stand-up. You can't do it. What you did and ultimately is you, you tried harder. You kept at it. You didn't let that feeling defeat you, but you kept learning more, gaining more experience, working harder until you reached that point you described where you were confident in yourself going on the stage. You had had enough experience to know you could deliver. So you learned from your shame or in spite of your shame, maybe. Yeah. But it was, I, it, it was kind of like a, what kept me going was you know, at some point I became conscious, okay, maybe it's not me at my core who's uh, <laughs> who's not meant to be a stand-up. Maybe it's just that night that I didn't manage to make it work. But to get there, I mean, I just had to go to go in a bit of a, a gamble, you know. I had, to, I had to, I guess, I don't know, I just had to trust the work and and that you know that the work would lead to to something uh but what is the fine line between you know trusting that if you put in the work is things will improve and and delusion <laughs> <laughs> i think learning from experience is the difference and i think yeah. that's w what you have done is you've always learned from experience. I mean, the, the time the time you're talking about when you bombed, it probably yeah. wasn't very funny. And you went back oh, and yeah, you no, figured, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. and you went back and you figured out why it wasn't funny, right? There were reasons why you you figure you learned from the experience of not being funny how to be funny. And I think that's that's how we grow is we take those shame experiences as lessons rather than as ultimate defeats. Yeah, it took me, because when I was 20, I took it as an ultimate defeat, and I, or 25, you know, I stopped doing stand-up for 15 years, and then ev eventually I, I went back to it, but it's a process, <laughs> it can be a long process. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I, I really subscribe to that, that 10,000 hours theory that, you know, to be really good at something, you've got to put in like your 10,000 hours. That's a lot of, that's a lot of work. So, you yeah. know, when you're just beginning, why should you be really good at it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's unrealistic to expect yourself to be good. But I think it's a, it's a good belief to have that if you put in the work, eventually you'll, you'll be good at it. You know, like the, the failure that you experience in the beginning is not uh, inherent to your nature. And and trusting that that the, that the work will make you rise above these challenges and make you a better, you know, whatever you're trying to do. I I totally agree. 
I mean, it's an underlying um, basic trust in yourself that you will, you will ultimately succeed even if you're not all that great now. One of the ideas that I, that really also was a revelation for me in the, in why do I do that in your first book is that, um, babies have an inherent expectation of what is a good way that they should be treated. Because before I thought, okay, if you've always been treated bad, how do you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if the if the only thing you know, right? But th that at a there's like some kind of an instinct in us that um, this expectations of a of a child and a baby of how they should be treated, and if that doesn't happen on a regular basis, is this where the feeling of core shame? Uh, rises is it is it you know usually does it usually come from there i i definitely think so i think there is this innate expectation that you're going to have a parent a parenting object mother father that's going to think you're worthwhile and care for you and treat you as if you're worthwhile lovable and when you don't get that you tend to interpret it as, oh, then there must be something wrong with me. I'm, I'm defective because it's natural for a parent to love a child. And if mine don't, then I must be defective. I think that's a really, really common experience for many people growing up with less than adequate parents is they tend to blame themselves rather than recognizing that they have deficient parents. It's also pretty frightening for a small child to think that you have bad parents given that you're entirely dependent on them for your life. I mean, right, to, recognize, <laughs> to recognize that these people that you depend on for life are like really bad at their job, that's kind of scary. Like, how was this evidence that that these expectations ex exist in in children, or even in small children that are not able to vocalize or express what you know these types of feeling? Well, there. I mean, there's a really great um, ex set of experiments that were done with mothers and babies, babies that were you know like less than a year old, and um, they're called the still face experiment. They were done in, okay. I think it was in Boston. And they, they show these babies and they have mothers that are very interactive with them. And there's this whole dialogue, pre-verbal dialogue going on of gestures and sounds and everything. And, the, and then they have the mothers like freeze, make their faces blank, stop smiling, ignore the baby. And these babies get so upset. They, they, they get so distraught they cannot contain themselves they get overwhelmed right. and i th yeah. i think it demonstrates this babies are seeking relationship and they're seeking this kind of mirroring relationship with their parents where they're made to feel worthwhile the center of their parents universe beautiful perfect whole whatever it is we want to talk about that experience that's kind of unconditional love that's what they want and then when they don't get it, they fall, they fall apart. It's actually, these videos are so distressing. They're painful to watch, okay. to see these babies. Okay. Um, they're on YouTube if anybody wants to watch them. But I think it shows that from a very early age, babies are relationship seeking. And what they want is this feeling that they're really important and beautiful and valuable to their parents. Yeah. What I got from your second book that 
narcissist. So the second book is the narcissist you know. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that you know people develop narcissist personalities because this this core shame is just so unbearable that that they are trying to push it down. Why why you know wh- why do certain people become narcissists to the point that they they're not even conscious that they are you know doing this and that they they're not even conscious of their core shame feeling and they're just trying really hard to you know to push it down by you know I'm such a great character or and 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 why do some other people you know don't fall into into that trap do you know you know, I, that's the $64,000 question. I wish I had a definitive answer. I'll tell you what I believe. I, I believe that it has to do with the amount of shame, that shame becomes so much that it be, really becomes unbearable. Some people just, it's its too much. They cannot bear to face it. And all they can do is defend against it, try and ward it off, deny that it's true, develop a kind of a false personality that's meant to you know, deny the underlying shame. Whereas other people who have less toxic amounts of shame are able to bear with it and learn from it and grow from it. So I think it's a question of degree. That's my theory. Okay. So sometimes it's just too much and and they develop such personalities. And is there a way back from narcissism? If, yeah, this is, this is the, this is the most common question I get off of my blog and people writing to me asking for (laughs) advice. And it's usually about somebody else. My, my husband is a narcissist. (laughs) Is there any hope for him? This is the usual question. And um, the answer is it's, it's, it's not a very optimistic answer is that unless, unless that person recognizes that they've got an issue that they need help, there's kind of no hope. You can't right. force someone to face their difficulties. And when shame, core shame is extreme and the defenses are rock hard, when you've got an extreme narcissistic personality, then there's there's almost no hope of reform. Well, okay, let's, let's switch back to something more positive. Well, actually, I don't know if the next question is positive because I, you know, when I stepped into a place of more confidence, I noticed that some of my relationships kind of, you know, degraded or even, you know, I lost contact with some people. Is it something that you see that some people cannot handle you becoming confident? I I think somebody who's very self-confident is threatening to a person who does not have much self-confidence. It, it feel, they, they tend to compare themselves unfavorably to you. They might feel envious. Um, it, it, they would probably find it very hard to rejoice with you in your success because it reminds them of the ways in which they feel like a failure. I think that's really common. I think people often tend to associate with other people who are at l- similar levels um, it's kind of like even like socioeconomically, people don't tend to associate regularly with people who have a lot more money 
than they do because it, it's uncomfortable to constantly being comparing, to compare yourself to somebody who's way wealthier or more successful than you are. I think in this same way, it can be uncomfortable to be hanging around somebody who's very self-confident when you're not. It's, it just kind of makes you feel worse about yourself. So I think envy is a big problem in those situations. And, you know, what's, and what you want to seek out and what's hard mm -hmm. to find are those people who are your peers, really, and who can truly rejoice with you in your successes, who, um, who mm -hmm. make you feel good about what you, who you've achieved. That, to me, the, the last phase in my book on building self-esteem, the last phase in kind of consolidating self-esteem and self-confidence is to be able to share your joy in achievement and your good feelings about yourself with people who can reciprocate it, who actually yeah. are happy for you. That, that just to me just consolidates the whole thing. It's hard to find. Yeah. But it scares me a little bit when I heard you say very self-confident because people associate that with, with arrogant. Um, and, uh, how's the fine line between, between those two? Yeah, well, I think I can. I I think I have the answer to that question. Um, I think <laughs> the, the difference is that that genuine self confidence, genuine self esteem, it, it, it's it's like it's an expanding universe. It's like I feel good about myself. I'm successful, and I want you to feel good about yourself, and I want you to be successful. And there's room for all of us. Whereas arrogance or or let's say narcissism, it's a, it's a fixed pie view of the universe where there's only so much self-confidence to go around. And if I have less, if you have more, that means I have less. So I have to knock you down and build myself up at your expense. So I think when people, there are people who are very self-confident, verging on arrogant, who have a way of subtly making other people around them feel bad. That's their, yeah. that's kind of their MO. You know, they feel better about themselves by making other people feel bad. I think we're, uh, I think it's probably my last question, but at the end of your book, uh, you say that one of the way to, to build confidence is to have, is to set realistic goals with yourself. You know, you give the example, if, if, today, if, if you or even me, we decided, okay, we want to be Olympic gold medalist, we probably will not. <laughs> we would set ourself, ourselves up for, for failure. This is kind of hard to take because you don't want to, you know, it's like you don't want to shortchange yourself on your life, right? You want to... You know, there's this fear that okay, if I set you know realistic goal, am I aiming too low? Like, am I am I missing out on my potential? I I don't I don't see it that way. I see it as like building blocks, like there's stages. You know that, that book Atomic Habits, which I think is a, yeah. a good book. It's like you, yeah. you you just because you set a small goal in the beginning doesn't mean that you're going to stick with small goals. It just means, all right, here's an achievable goal. I have this expectation for myself. I follow through. I'm successful. And I build a good feeling about myself, right? And then I can ask yeah. a little bit more. And then I ask more, but you have, you kind of have to build up to it as opposed to, 
I'm, I'm starting running now and I'm today I'm going to go out and run a marathon, right? You, you, you can't, you can't do that. I have to say the, your, the, your, your last book uh, begins with a shame test. And I cringed at every question <laughs> of that test. Like it's really, you know, and, and it actually, it, it Yeah, I did feel, you know, I did feel that feeling of of yeah, shame is such a it's 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 it's, uh, it's really something you feel inside of you. Like it's uh it's it's very powerful. But and then it it made me think you know, also when you wrote about you, you know, you build trust in yourself because you look in your achievements. But my worst gigs ever, they still haunt me. You know, like the There's, I have two, three gigs in my life that was like the disaster of all disasters <laughs> for me at that moment. You know, one was in front of my theater teacher, and I think I've learned to, I've learned to to trust myself. But you know, why did this? Why does this still come up? Uh, once in a while, you know, like this this horrible feeling of uh, I failed miserably. And uh, you know, I'm a loser. Or <laughs> well, but you don't. You, that isn't the takeaway. You might be haunted by this shame feeling, but the you didn't take away from it permanently that you are a loser, right? You no. probably, no. you know, it, it's doing it in front of your theater teacher had to be agonizing. And I think we've all got those shame experiences from our past that are just going to be with us for life. I'm sorry to tell you, it will, it, it will be Make there forever. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have those too. You know, I, I call them cringing, cringing shame moments where this memory will just suddenly surface and my whole body cl flinches. You know, like yeah. everything tightens up because it's so painful. They're yeah. just there, but they, they're not defining in the sense that they didn't stop you, right? They didn't that's hold you back. That's what your shame test did to me. <laughs> it, it didn't stop you, though. You went on. <laughs> no, I went on. No, but I think it's a good... It's a good uh, <clears throat> I think it's a good conclusion. It's kind of what you're saying is that the, the, you build self-confidence through that feeling of shame it's still you know it stays but it it develops into i don't know something different that that is not so much part of you know your core identity but more okay here's an experience where i really screwed up it's clearly the case with you it didn't stop you and you've gone on for years working really hard to master your craft to achieve this level of confidence you're talking about it doesn't mean you're shame free right No, still there. <laughs> okay, Joe. So before we, we leave, uh, what type of fiction books are, are you writing? We, the, the book I just finished writing is the, is the opening installment in, a, in an epic fantasy series. My very first novel, which I wrote when I was in my early 20s, was a science fantasy novel. I read a lot of fantasy fiction when I was a teen. And now I've gone back to that that genre but i'm trying to write it more as psychological fiction you know rather than dragons okay. and swords so i'm trying to see if i can take that genre and and um at the risk of sounding a little pompous elevate it to to the level of literary psychological fiction which is 
you know, it's in keeping with all my other interests. I'm always interested in psychology, and that's what I write about, whether or not it's nonfiction or epic fantasy. And do you feel confident in yourself as you do that? I, you know, I really do. I mean, I really feel I had my doubts in the middle of this book. It took me a long time to write it. But at the end of it, I, I just feel really good about this book. I love this book. It's not necessarily for everybody, but I, I, I achieved what I set out to do. And that makes me feel really good. Cool. So what's the title of the book? A Grim Light Rising. Um, okay. And it, the series is called The Illuminariad, and its um, next book is underway. So maybe I'll spend the rest of my life writing this series of books. And then can you remind us your, your third book, the title of your third book? Building Self-Esteem, How Learning from Shame Helps Us to Grow. Thank you so much, Joe. It was really nice talking to you and, and very, very good insights for, for people listening to us. Thank you, Ben. It was really fun talking with you. Same here. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening to episode two of The Superpower of Confidence. Please subscribe to this podcast. And if you're listening on iTunes, please leave a review. They're really helpful. Check out the books written by Dr. Joe Borgo. The titles are Why Do I Do That? His second book is The Narcissist You Know. And his third book, Building Self-Esteem. If you'd like to book me as a speaker, a trainer or a comedian, or find out more about me, subscribe to my newsletter, go to bendelahay.com. All the links will be in the show notes. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you, bye.